The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm going to do something a little bit different from the usual today, in that I'm not only going to speak about this week's epistle, but I'm going to bring in next week's epistle. Now, part of that is very practical. I want to speak to the Old Testament next week. But it's also important, I think, for understanding this week's epistle to look ahead at next week's epistle, because I think it sheds light on our reading today. Our readings through these Sundays uh, in sequence here through the epistle of Romans uh, have really been following an argument that Paul makes from chapter 5 right on through to the end of chapter 8. And it has to do with now that we have become Christian and know that our life is based on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, therefore, as he starts chapter 5, but to kind of sum it all up, this is how we should look at things, and this is how we should live. More specifically, today's epistle carries on the argument that was begun last week, having to do with our life in Christ once we are baptized. Because if you recall, Paul said last week, if you have been baptized with Christ, you have died with Christ. And so too, you will be raised to newness of life. A couple things that I want to say about that. First of all, it's in the here and now. That new life in Christ is not something that we have to wait for in the heavenly sphere beyond the grave. Our death to sin and to self and our new life to God in Christ is something that is now our possession. And this is confirmed by what Jesus himself said as recorded in the Gospel of John. He who believes in me has, present tense, eternal life. So it begins in the here and the now. Equally important, we need to understand that Paul is talking about an 
objective reality. This is not something that is based on our feelings, which come and go. The fact of our baptism is just that. It is a fact. It is an event within our lives where God worked a miracle. In that baptism, we died to sin once for all. We died the only death that is really important, the death of the Spirit. And we have risen to that new life that we have in Christ. It is something that we can always point back to and say, because of that, I am this. And that's the kind of confidence that Paul is showing in the epistle reading today when he says, no longer present yourselves members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not over under the law, but under grace. And then later he goes on to say, thanks be to God that you, having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So Paul is saying we now walk in a new reality. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. Well, <laughs> that sounds great, but when we think about our own lives, we have to admit that it just isn't that simple. It's nice to know that in principle, we are already in a new life in Christ and that we are walking differently than we walked before. But we also know that experientially, we still struggle. We still struggle with sin within our lives. And we find ourselves saying something that Paul himself says in chapter 7, the epistle for next Sunday. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive of the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now I have to ask you, does that sound like somebody who is a slave to righteousness? It almost sounds like Paul is saying, I'm still a slave to sin. 
And this is particularly dramatic when we consider that this was written 14 years after Paul's conversion. 14 years of that new life in Christ that he talks about so boldly in chapter 6. And yet in chapter 7, he continues to admit that there is a warfare between that spiritual reality of the new life in Christ and the earthly reality of his struggles with sin that clings so tightly. And so he ends up saying, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about a precious gift that is given to us in um, our baptism, even beyond the grace of the cross and the resurrection of our Lord that conquers sin and death, is another grace that he gives, and that is the grace of the Holy Spirit. He introduces that Holy Spirit in our lives as that special gift to us in our life in Christ, beginning in chapter 5, and he fills it out more completely in chapter 8. But it's that Holy Spirit that pricks our conscience. Do you think that somebody who truly was a slave to sin would struggle the way Paul is in the passage that I just read from that seventh chapter? No. They would go blithely on in their sin, not recognizing or not caring about the way it was ruining their lives. In fact, that's kind of what Paul is alluding to when he says in today's epistle, so what advantage did you get then from the things of which you are now ashamed? Not the things that you were ashamed of, the things that you're now ashamed of because of your new life in Christ. It sets up that dissonance there where we begin to struggle because we have that new life in Christ and we know what it's like and we know what it ought to be. And when we have to struggle with that continuing reality of sin, it pricks us. It pricks our conscience. And it also reminds us that we cannot do it alone. We cannot be the kind of new person in Christ that we are called to be by our own efforts. It is only and solely by the grace of God working within us that we are able to win that victory. And so God, knowing this, pours out the gift of his ongoing presence with us in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit does give us the power that we need and the guidance that we need to win the battle. God's Holy Spirit, even now, is transforming us more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. 
And that Holy Spirit is already at work within us, molding us and shaping us to be the kind of people that God has called us to be. It is a wonderful, wonderful gift that Paul is trying to communicate to us. And it is how the Christian life works. We are new people right now in Christ, have been since we were baptized and brought into his kingdom. And now we walk by faith, trusting that grace of God, and that grace will win the victory within us. Thanks be to God. Amen.